today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. A very, very big day in Washington yesterday. In fact, it could not have been more pivotal in the Supreme Court nomination process for Judge Brett Kavanaugh or for the discussion about sexual violence in America. The nation got its first chance to hear directly from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who says Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her when they were in high school in the 1980s, and the nation saw Kavanaugh absolutely unravel in his response, an angry tirade against what he called a left-wing conspiracy to derail his Supreme Court appointment. Today, the news will not relent. The Senate Judiciary Committee has scheduled a vote for this morning on the Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, The American Bar Association, which had already given Kavanaugh its coveted highly qualified rating, now says it wants the Senate to pause to allow for the FBI to investigate these allegations further. And survivors of sexual violence across the country are left wondering whether what they saw yesterday marks progress or a terrible setback in the ongoing moment of reckoning that has been unfolding around the way men and women and sex all interact in our culture. Later in the show, we're going to talk specifically about what's going on in Washington and what will happen for Brett Kavanaugh. But we want to start with how this conversation fits into the bigger issues surrounding sexual violence in America. Let's hear first from Dr. Ford when she was asked yesterday by Vermont Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy what detail she remembers most from her sexual assault in the early 1980s. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter, the the uproarious laughter between the two, and they're having fun at my expense. She stopped the room with that recollection. It was dead silent. And I think everybody who was watching or listening had some sort of emotional response to what she said. Joining us now to talk more about how all of this fits into the context of the conversation about sexual violence in America is Carly Meem. She is an interim director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit which advocates for survivors of sexual violence. Carly Meem, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, Let's start with your general reaction first to that moment in the hearings yesterday when uh, Patrick Leahy asked uh, Dr. Ford about what her memory was, what sticks with her uh, some 36 years later about that attack, but then also your reaction to the hearings more generally. I was in that moment so impressed at her ability to remain composed in facing questioning that seemed to attack why she doesn't remember every single detail, Um, which when you work with survivors, you know that it's entirely natural. Um, You know, up until something like that happens, survivors aren't thinking that this is going to be a memorable night. And so they're not thinking to reflect on what they're wearing, how they got to somewhere, what address they're at. Um, And then once it has happened, the thought is really on um, fight or flight. And in this case, she was just trying to escape. So it makes sense. And I think what matters is that she ultimately remembers some really key details that make her a very credible um, person as she testified in front of the Senate committee. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Talk about how you feel uh, 
the Senate Judiciary Committee handled this situation. You have uh, Dr. Ford, who has a story that that, that she needed to tell uh, in front of the committee. Uh, She told that story in great detail. Uh, But then you had uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who had his own story to tell. Uh, They used an unusual approach, I guess, to to question both of them. Uh, The Republicans on the committee left their questions to Rachel Mitchell, a, a prosecutor from Arizona, uh, to talk with Dr. Ford. But then they were perfectly comfortable talking with uh, Judge Kavanaugh on their own for the most part. Uh, was there something about this this structure that um, that was tilted against Dr. Ford or against the 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 presumption that she was telling the truth? I think that the fact that they brought in a prosecutor was said to be very out of the ordinary. And, um, you know, it really brought up this idea that uh, it suggested that perhaps she was the one on trial. So I think many people really appreciated Senator Harris's comments about the fact that she was not the one on trial. Um, in fact, it wasn't a trial at all. It was a job interview, and, and the focus was not Dr. Ford. The focus was uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but I think we needed to hear that reminder because it was easy to forget that in watching this prosecutor who's a sex crimes prosecutor and used to trying cases in criminal court in front of a jury, um, sort of attacking her credibility. Ultimately, I thought that prosecutor was fairly kind in terms of how she approached the questioning. I thought it could have gone a lot worse. But at the same time, we're all left wondering, why did Republicans have to um, have someone working as a shield in front of them? That stark photo showing the the prosecutor sitting in front of all the white male Republicans Mm -hmm. really emphasized um, that they seem to think themselves not capable of treating her with enough respect to question her. And I, I was just left wondering why that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Carly Mee. She's an interim director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that advocates for survivors of sexual violence. We are talking about yesterday's big news, uh, the hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee at which uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford uh, said, told her story about uh, a sexual assault she says take, took place in the early 1980s. She says uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh was her attacker. We also heard from Judge Kavanaugh who says uh, he did not do this, he did not do that or any of the other things that he has been accused of. It was a very, very emotional Hearing It was a very tense moment, uh, not just in the nomination process of Judge Kavanaugh, but in the ongoing discussion about sexual violence in America. What was your reaction to yesterday's testimony? What was your reaction to the hearing? Did you think this was a necessary thing to be doing uh, in order for Judge Kavanaugh to maybe end up on the Supreme Court? Uh, Did you think this was a necessary conversation to be having in order to get to a better space 
uh, with regard to the way men and women relate to each other uh, and the way that sexual violence is dealt with in this country. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. In particular, uh, we'd love to hear from people who uh, made up their minds yesterday based on what they heard about whether Brett Kavanaugh should sit on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, was this uh, dispositive testimony in your uh, in your view? Uh, did you hear something that changed your mind maybe about uh, Brett Kavanaugh? Uh, as always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, before we get to the phones, uh, Carly, me, I, I want to talk just a little, or I want you to talk, I guess, just a little about what effect you think this will have on survivors of sexual assault going forward. Does this encourage people to, to be more forthcoming about the things that have happened to them? Uh, does this uh, uh, cast uh, uh, potential attackers maybe in a different uh, position, given that uh, maybe they'll be held more accountable for these things? What's the, what's the fallout? I think the fallout is that yesterday, well, we're not quite clear what the message is yet because we don't know what's going to be done. And that's such a key part is that after you hear someone's story, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to choose to say, well, this was a he, sh- he said, she said story. We, there's always going to be doubt, like one of the senators said. Um, and so we put him onto the Supreme Court, um, especially in light of his testament, Judge Kavanaugh's testimony in which he became angry, visibly angry, yelling, um, very emotional in comparison to seeing a sexual assault survivor, Dr. Ford herself remained very composed um, to put someone on the highest court in the land um, to make some really important decisions if they can't keep their cool and interact with senators in a respectful manner, I think was concerning and, um, we have so many qualified people to choose from. Um, it ultimately is, like I said, a job promotion. So what message does it send to survivors if we still say that this person is so entitled to it um, that we're going to ignore the fact that he likely committed these acts based on um, credible testimony from her and other witnesses? And I, I do worry because, you know, even the sexual assault national hotline last night saw over 100 percent spike in calls. And part of me thinks that's great that that more survivors are coming forward. But the other part thinks, why did so many need sudden help? Um, why did they, it's sort of like calling a suicide hotline. I imagine they were in sort of a moment of crisis watching this. I imagine it was very upsetting and triggering mm-hmm. and to, to then see um, if these senators decide to do nothing, I think that will send a very clear message to survivors about what we value and what we're willing to tolerate as a society. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the phones, we've got some Twitter comments I want to inject here. Professor Reitmer on Twitter says she was very impactful in her testimony yesterday. He showed a general lack of respect for the process and came across as arrogant and privileged. Unfortunately, this will not change a thing. He will be confirmed 
as a Republican, I am ashamed of the party. Jacob on Facebook says, I think Dr. Ford's testimony was genuine and that something happened to her. Uh, I don't think that something involves Judge Kavanaugh and nothing in her testimony assuaged that doubt. Carl on Facebook says the U.S. Senate is poised to add a second man accused of sexual harassment to the Supreme Court without ever talking to a single corroborating witness. Let that sink in. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ben in Auburn Hills. Ben, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, happy Friday. So how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um, I'll be real brief. I know you got a lot of phone calls. But mm-hmm. first, I want to say how telling it was that the Republican side did decide to um, have a female representative to ask her questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that that was maybe um, to have any inquiry into their own skeletons in their closet, um, uh, avoid it, but also how they just dismissed her and started asking questions themselves, you know, um, after a certain point. So I think that it just shows a lot, um, it tells a lot about their, um, mm. uh, about their attitude towards women and the, the, the dismissive nature of all that. Yeah. Uh, ben, Ben, thanks very much for the call. Uh, in the comments. Carly, me, before I get to the next caller, uh, I saw some people saying yesterday on social media that they felt like it made sense to have uh, Rachel Mitchell, this prosecutor from Arizona, ask questions of Dr. Ford, uh, partially because uh, she could be, I guess, a little more dispassionate or was uh, was there to be a little more dispassionate about uh, uh, the, the the way in which she was she was being questioned. Uh, I also saw people who said, you know, it's better to have a woman do this uh, than a group of of men and all white men. Uh, the, the, you know, on the on the Senate Judiciary Committee on the GOP side, there are nothing uh, but men. Um, uh, what, what what are we to make of that? How how should that have been approached? Did they do the right thing by by picking Rachel Mitchell? So I have kind of a complicated answer. I was thinking about this last night, and and what I came up with is I'm ultimately glad that they had this attorney questioning her, this prosecutor, because I think it led to a much less traumatizing process that it um, that it would have been worse had these all white male um, senators been questioning her, because I don't think they would have asked the right questions. I think they would have been insensitive. And so, yes, I'm glad in this situation because for Dr. Ford's sake, it turned out to be the best circumstance. But overall, I'm disappointed that they had to do that, that they weren't willing to take a hard look at themselves and figure out properly how to engage with a survivor and ask questions in a respectful manner Mm -hmm. that they so quickly just punted this off to someone else when it's part of their responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how about this GOP? Appoint some women to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Yep, uh, yep exactly. A, a, a friend of mine pointed out to me yesterday that the GOP has never appointed a woman to the Senate Judiciary Committee, something that uh, ought to change. Uh, again, uh, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Stephanie and Macomb. Stephanie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to share um, that I feel very strongly that Kavanaugh does, has no place in the Supreme Court. Um, based on yesterday's hearing, which was pretty, very triggering, um, apparently, for many people, um, 
but just based on what I've seen and heard um, about his feelings and how he wants to sway um, the decision for um, reversing Roe versus Wade as well. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm upset to hear that this is still even being considered. He shouldn't even be considered. Hmm. Uh, okay, Stephanie, I, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. I think uh, obviously there's a lot of people who, who feel the same way and who felt the same way about the hearings and the effect I guess, that those hearings uh, had on people as they watched. Thanks very much uh, for calling in. Uh, let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Um, I, uh, I wanted to congratulate you on your question of Senator Peters uh, yesterday, where you asked him if any of this was going to change his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, we can extend that to uh, a further FBI investigation. Would that change anyone's mind? And, of course, yesterday, Senator Peters told you that, no, it wouldn't change his mind. He decided He'd already long made up ago his that yeah. he was going to vote against um, a Judge Kavanaugh. And, of course, that is true for uh, Senator Stabenow, and it's true for virtually every uh, Democrat in the Senate, and certainly every Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. So why an FBI investigation when it's not going to change any of the Democrats' mind? And why an FBI investigation when none of the Republicans feel the need to have any more information to make their decision on someone who has sat for 12 years on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the second highest court in the land, and has served with distinction there, um, is beyond me. Your your guest today m- makes a startling revelation where she judges the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee as having been unable to question the witness. She has apparently decided that um, that it was good that they uh, hired the female prosecutor because they would have made a hash of it. I, I don't know if they would have made a hash of it. I do know that the liberal media would have excoriated them as being mm. all white males, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what. So the, the yeah. fact that the liberal cognoscenti are upset about um, yeah. the Re- Republicans having hired that pr- prosecutor means to me it was a very, very good thing. Chuck, I appreciate the call uh, and, and the comments. Uh, Carly Me, I'll give you a chance to respond to what he's saying there. I just think that ultimately, when we don't, when we also see that there are no women on that committee, mm-hmm. um, it sends a message to the person who's speaking there, and it, it sends a message of discomfort. And um, I'm basing my um, my comments about their capabilities also on what we've seen in the past, um, not just with them specifically, but in the um, Anita Hill hearings. And I don't see any steps that have been taken to more properly educate senators on how to question a survivor of sexual violence. That is something that um, takes either experience or training. And we saw that um, there were some Democrats asking questions that have that training, that mm-hmm. um, Senator Harris, who has been a prosecutor of sex crimes, but we don't see that experience on the other side and we don't see that um, willingness to engage in a respectful way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, again, thanks for the call. Uh, and the comments. Let's go to uh, Dina. Dina on the road. Welcome yes, to the I'm here. Uh huh. Go ahead. 
I, I just think that the Supreme Court has arrived at a point that they should just have term limits. I mean, after watching repeated behavior of, you know, just senseless, this entire debacle, you know, we just have arrived at a point where we can no longer trust our Supreme Court to make fair decisions. You know, we're afraid to even see this. Uh, does Kavanaugh even arrive at a, once he gets there, I don't think he's going to be able to make decisions. Right. No, I, I, quite honestly, we just need term limits on uh, the Dina, Supreme Court. Dina, I appreciate the call and the idea. I can't say I agree. I mean, term limits have not been a solution to anything, in my opinion, uh, in in government. And and the, the whole idea, actually, of lifetime appointments was uh, to inure Supreme Court justices and the process of selecting Supreme Court justices from the political process. Now, I think we're in a in a space where we're a long way from that, but I'm not, I guess I'm not sure that term limits uh, necessarily are the answer. But uh, again, I appreciate you listening and I appreciate calling in and sharing that with us. Okay, Carly Mee, Interim Director of Serve Justice, a national nonprofit that advocates for survivors of sexual violence. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about the hearing yesterday. We're going to talk specifically about Judge Kavanaugh, the unraveling uh, he indulged during his statement, what that means for his confirmation chances, what that means for maybe a potential FBI investigation, uh, and what that means for justice as we go forward. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Uh, Tom in Northwest Detroit. Carol, you are all up next on Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about yesterday's extraordinary hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford accusing uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her in the early 1980s. Judge Kavanaugh, in his response to those allegations, uh, striking a rather partisan pose uh, that we almost never see from federal judges. We want to continue the conversation about what is going on in Washington and what this means to the judiciary with Barb McQuaid. She's a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. She now teaches at the University of Michigan. Barb, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I want to start uh, with a clip. Judge Kavanaugh yesterday claimed that the allegations against him amount to a left-wing conspiracy. And he even mentioned the Clintons, who were the subject of the Whitewater investigation that he was a big part of back in the late 1990s. Here's that portion of his opening statement. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. 
That political tone from Brett Kavanaugh is something that caught me absolutely by surprise yesterday. I'm somebody who has spent a lot of time watching and thinking about and writing about the federal judiciary. And I can say uh, with all honesty that I have never seen a federal judge in public speak that way, speak in such partisan tones uh, about his confirmation process or really anything else. Uh, Barbara McQuaid, I want to start with your reaction to what Judge Kavanaugh said in front of the Judiciary Committee. I had the same reaction. I thought, and I think the reason you don't hear it is because it's so incredibly inappropriate. A judge, he's a sitting judge, too, don't forget, not just a, an aspiring Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. And he, he ended that uh, rant by saying, what goes around comes around. Yes. We're expecting to put this person on the court to ask them to make decisions on things like voting rights and affirmative action, the death penalty and abortion. And what goes around comes around. You're talking about revenge by the Clintons. That is very worrisome. I think if we weren't worried about him before because of this alleged sexual assault, we should be now after seeing this display of this judicial temperament and absolutely no empathy for the victim. He says he didn't even watch her testimony, which has been contradicted by the Wall Street Journal, and I find very hard to believe. And the whole point of having her testify live was so that he could confront his accuser and hear her testimony and refute it. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I I was left with... uh, uh, feeling even more strongly that we need at least an FBI investigation before we go forward, or if there's a vote today, the vote needs to be no. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little more about the, the the role of the FBI in these investigations. There was a lot of discussion about that yesterday uh, on, on the committee. One side saying this would not uh, reveal anything that we don't already know. The other side saying, well, at least it's an independent uh, investigation. It's not being conducted by the majority. It's not being conducted by other members of the committee. It's being conducted by law enforcement. Uh, talk about what these FBI uh, uh, interrogations or investigations in this kind in this context actually look like. Yeah, I thought that some of the Republicans and even Judge Kavanaugh himself were being very disingenuous when they said, but the FBI doesn't even reach conclusions. Mm-hmm. The FBI is not asked to reach conclusions. That's true. The FBI is actually ex- to gather facts. And I think we saw why it is that you don't put witnesses out there cold without first talking not only to them, but to all of the other witnesses who might matter so that you can either corroborate or refute what they're saying. I felt a lot of sympathy for Rachel Mitchell, the prosecutor who was asked to ask all these questions in a vacuum without having those corroborating or refuting stories to be able to use to prepare her questioning. In addition to this five minutes on, five minutes off method of questioning, which never allowed her to really get any momentum for asking questions. Um, And so uh, the idea of an FBI background investigation happens uh, all the time in these kinds of cases. Um, There's no, it happened for Anita Hill. There's no reason they couldn't pause. And I'll bet they could get this done in just a matter of days if they sent FBI agents to talk to Mark Judge, Mm -hmm. uh, the other people who were at the party, and the four people who submitted affidavits on behalf of Dr. Ford. You know, as we saw yesterday, what you can say in a written document that's written with and by a lawyer for you is very different from what you see when people are testifying live, raw, follow-up questions, in-person, body language, tone, and inflection all matter in these instances. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Barb McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now teaching at the University of Michigan. We're talking about yesterday's hearings in Washington in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. We finally heard firsthand from Christine Blase Ford, uh, who has accused Judge Brett Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her when they were teenagers in the early 1980s. We also heard from Judge Kavanaugh for a second time, uh, this time a very different Judge Kavanaugh than we saw during his initial hearings where he was uh, very uh, appropriately reserved and very focused on the law and answering specific questions. Yesterday, he went on a tirade against what he called a left-wing conspiracy, even brought up the Clintons, uh, which I haven't heard somebody do in a really long time. Is that something that a judge should have been doing? And is what Uh, Dr. Ford said in front of the committee, disqualifying for Brett Kavanaugh. Those are some of the questions that are swirling today in Washington. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what your reaction was to the hearings yesterday. Tell us what you heard from uh, Dr. Ford and whether you believed it. Tell us what you heard from uh, Judge Kavanaugh and whether you found that credible. Also, tell us what you think about this idea of a further investigation into these claims. Should the Senate Judiciary Committee pause and wait to see whether uh, there is a deeper truth that can be unearthed by interviewing some of the people who are involved here a little more deeply? As always, the number on the phones is 313 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that uh, there are a number of organizations that um, from time to time appear in the federal courts. And whether Judge Kavanaugh remains on the D.C. Circuit or goes to the Supremes, uh, I, I think we'll hear a lot of requests that he recuse himself. Hmm. Now, understandably, the rules are different at the Supremes. Each justice decides the issue for himself. Uh-huh. But in the circuit court, there are rules and traditions governing when a judge should recuse himself. And uh, there might be a whole bunch of two-judge panels because of some of the things he said yesterday. Yeah, yeah, Ed, I think that's a that's a great point, and it sort of builds on what we what we started the conversation with, which was this very political tone from uh, Judge Kavanaugh's opening statement yesterday. Uh, Barb McQuaid, what about the issue of recu- recusal, especially if he stays on the D.C. Circuit? Yeah, I think Ed raises a very valid point, which is he expressed outright hostility to the Clintons, to Democrats, um, you know, that that this was all an orchestrated attempt and what what goes around comes around. I think that if I were somebody who was uh, either overtly representing the Democratic Party, for one, but even an issue that's uh, associated with the Democratic Party, like whatever it is, civil rights, voting rights, uh, abortion rights, marriage equality, whatever it is, I think they'd have an argument for recusal. Now, um, judges get to decide for themselves whether they get to be recused, mm-hmm. so I don't know that that would be successful. But I think he has harmed the integrity of the court, any court on which he sits, by expressing those things and by showing that hostility and that strong partisanship. Uh, you know, certainly all 
judges have a worldview and they get appointed by particular parties. But uh, you hope that they can stay above the fray. Mm -hmm. They can keep it uh, professional and not personal. And I think that Judge Kavanaugh just really failed that test yesterday. And it will call into question his impartiality for the rest of his career. You know, one of the things that was going through my mind as he did this as well was how Chief Justice John Roberts, should he be uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court, or the Chief Judge of the D.C. Circuit, who's Merrick Garland, um, uh, would handle this. Uh, I mean, both of them have some responsibility to, to maintain the respect uh, of their institutions. And I know uh, firsthand that uh, for Judge uh, for Justice Roberts, uh, that is a huge priority. I, I feel as though Brett Kavanaugh's testimony implicates their work uh, as much as his own. That's such a good point. And I, you're right that Justice Roberts has at least expressed that he cares very much about the legitimacy of the court as an institution. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, um, will it cause him to think twice when he, you know, it is the chief justice who assigns the writing assignments on yes. cases? Will he think twice about which cases he assigns to a Justice Kavanaugh? You know, if it is one of these hot-button issues that divides along party lines, is that the guy whose name you want on the majority opinion? Maybe not. Maybe there's a cooling-off period. So it could have not only a, a perception problem on the court, but actually a, 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 an actual problem uh, that Justice Roberts and the others will have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, let's go to Rose in Detroit. Rose, welcome to Detroit yes. today. Rose, you, we need to turn your radio down just a little bit. Okay, okay. I have it down. All right, go ahead. Okay, so um, the reason why I'm calling, first of all, thanks for accepting my call. Um, this situation right now in, in the United States has really opened up a, a wound for me. And the reason why I'm calling is because people have a tendency to say, you know, why did the person wait so long? Why didn't she say something back then? Well, let me tell you about something that happened to me as a young, young person. I was eight or nine years old, and my, I had two older sisters. You know, they had friends, and one of their friends um, was molesting me. You know, he was making me do things that I knew was wrong and I felt was wrong, but he was older, I felt intimidated, and so I let it continue for about six months. And one day I got fed up, and I was like, okay, I'm telling on him. I'm going to tell my family. And so we're sitting at the table, at the dinner table, and I, my father, my mother, my two sisters, and I told him, I said, you know, this guy had been, you know, touching me and making me touch him. And they didn't give me the re- reaction that I thought I should get as a young child. I was maybe eight or nine years old. And right after I told, the gentleman knocked on the door. And they, my father let him in. And it, it devastated me. It, it crushed me because, you know, I thought my father was going to beat him up or, you know, say something, say something to him. He didn't say anything. Now, this is when I was nine or ten. Now, I got in high school and I was in the ninth grade, and it was two young men that lived down the street from me. And I don't remember how I got to this position, but I was on the third floor in my high school, and there wasn't many people up there. And these two young boys tried to rape me. And the only thing that really stopped them was the fact that somebody knocked on the door, mm-hmm. and they ran. I never told anybody. I have, I'm 62 years old, and I never told anyone a couple of days ago, my sister, we were talking about it, and she was like, I don't understand why she waited so long. Why would somebody wait so long? And when she said that, I didn't even have the courage then to tell her. I just said, 
you never know what happened to people. And I reminded her, remember what happened to me when I got molested. So yesterday was the first day that I ever relived this. And I think what got me so bad was the fact that I'm 62 years old. This happened when I was in the ninth grade in high school. Mm -hmm. And I had never, ever said the words that I'm saying to you right now. Because when you don't get the reaction that you think you should get, then it makes you go into a shell. And I feel like uh, Ms. Ford yesterday was really honest in her in her responses. You know, and, and, and I can't say whether or not the gentleman actually did know that people need to start listening to women when they have these stories because the uh, uh, Rose, I think we I think we lost you there, but oh, oh, it's because yeah. of the reaction that I got when I first came out and said something. Yeah. And I just think people should have a fair chance that they should give these women an opportunity and know that it's not easy to relive a trauma. I'm crying now. And this happened when I was a baby compared to who I am today. And I just wanted to express that for people to stop saying, why do women wait to tell? Yeah. Rose, I I really appreciate the fact that you called uh, and that you had the courage to tell that story here uh, on our show. Um, uh, It's really a wrenching story, and and I hope that you're able to to, to reach some space of comfort and peace around it uh, at some point. Uh, Barbara McQuaid, I know you have to to run, so I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you go. But but thank you very much for being here with us uh, on Detroit today. Yeah, my pleasure. And may I just also say, sure, I, I'm so ahead. grateful to Rose for sharing that story. And I know there are thousands of people across this country who were reliving their own traumas yesterday as they heard Dr. Ford tell hers. And their voices are really important. And so when they have the courage to share their story and explain why people wait so long, it's because victims are shamed and blamed and threatened and not believed. And so the more people speak up the more um, that that um, impression and that reaction can be defeated. So I'm very grateful to Rose. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Thanks yes. for a good discussion. Yes, we'll speak to you uh, sometime soon. Okay, uh, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to continue the conversation here with uh, with your calls. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, good morning. And I hope Rose, you know, finds some solace as well. You know what, Steve? Dr. Ford came off very convincing. And, and, you know, an original yesterday, whereas when Kavanaugh came on, I mean, this man is supposed to be nonpartisan. And what does he do? He comes out and he attacks the Democrats. And I mean, what did the Clintons have to do with where he is today? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was. I don't know why he invoked that, given that, uh, uh, first of all, this is a guy who played an integral role right. in expanding Whitewater and hunting down all this stuff that had nothing to do with the investigation. I mean, he dragged all of this stuff out and dragged people into it, and now he's uh, saying this is about the Clintons? I don't, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, the wheels came off of his wagon yesterday. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, this guy does not need to be sitting in the most powerful court in the world and sitting there, you know, making decisions that, you know, depending upon what it is, it's going to affect all of us. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I, I appreciate the call okay. and the comments. Thanks very much. Um, let's go to Fred in St. Clair Shores. Fred, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. I'll be fast. Mm-hmm. When the, uh, As the previous caller said, the wheels came off of Judge Kavanaugh's wagon when he was falling, to me, he was falling apart during the period of time that the uh, uh, the appointed uh, prosecutor 
or not a prosecutor, but representative of the Republican Senate, portion of the Senate. Mm -hmm. And when Lindsey Graham had to come in and uh, lead the charge and, uh, you know, start attacking the Democratic Party. But Judge Kavanaugh lost his impartiality and his nonpartisanship by attacking everybody, uh, people who had nothing to do with this particular woman, Judge, I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Ford. His partisanship, I think, is damaged forever, whether he's on the D.C. court or if ever makes it to the Supreme Court. If any, anybody who witnessed this, actually, it was, a, it, it was such a disturbing display. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can he ever continue on any court? Uh, I'm speaking of the judge. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are great questions, Fred, and and those are questions that I think will linger no matter what the Senate Judiciary Committee decides to do uh, in, in in its vote. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff to answer here. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. I will be back next week. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We will see you next week. <laughs>